time we stop spreading fear and acknowledge some facts. This is not about freedom or personal choice. You know, you can't work anymore unless you do what I say. That's essentially what a vaccine passport is. Wear masks obviously is a violation of your personal rights, and so is being locked down. You've been patient. Your patience is wearing thin. Open society back up. Restore our freedoms. End this madness. G'day, I'm George Christensen, and welcome to another episode of Conservative One Pandemic Unmasked, where we're peering behind the curtain to see what lies behind this pandemic. And what we've seen is multinational corporations profiteering like never, ever before, particularly big pharmaceutical companies. And Pfizer is one of the biggest that's profited out of this pandemic. There's some concerns that have been raised about Pfizer's past behaviour and about their current behaviour. We're going to talk to an independent researcher, Kurt Malberg, about what he's revealed about Pfizer. Well, Kurt Malberg, thanks very much for joining us for Conservative One Pandemic Unmasked. Now, you've been doing a bit of in-depth research into, I guess, Pfizer's past bad behaviour. It's funny because, um, you know, we can't ask any questions about Pfizer. They're like become this saintly, beneficial, uh, benevolent organisation for all of mankind suddenly when we know the reality is something else. Uh, you've recently written an article for the Canberra Declaration's Daily Declaration blog where you've gone through eight different points of, of why we just simply can't trust Pfizer as a company. And I know one of those points, it's the one that I hear mentioned the most, that uh, Pfizer is an outfit that has got the biggest criminal corporate fine against it in United States history. I mean, that point alone should ring alarm bells for those who are saying, just trust Pfizer. They would never have done anything wrong with this vaccine rollout. So tell us, what have you found out and why shouldn't we trust Pfizer as a company? Thanks so much, George. It's a pleasure to be with you on the podcast today. Um, actually, before I knew I was going to be on with, with you this week, I've been listening to your other episodes from the series, and I just want to say it's um, it's amazing the, the people that you've been able to interview and the topics you've covered. So, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, well, yeah, you've, you've mentioned the big one. I think this is probably one that most people in the public would have already heard of if they've done any amount of reading on Pfizer. So, they paid uh, the biggest, like you said, the biggest criminal fine in United States history. That was back in, uh, I think it was the mid-2000s. It was about $1.195 billion. Um, and in addition to that, they paid a whole lot more settlement fees. So altogether, that payment they made was something like $2.3 billion. So, now, Are you aware what that fine was for, Kurt? Yeah, so there's this. Uh, there was a medicine called Bextra, which was being marketed by them it was being rolled out for some fairly standard uses, but one of their um, marketers down in Florida realized that they were trying to sell it for a whole range more uses than it had actually been approved for. And he was pretty concerned that it was putting patients at risk of heart attacks and strokes and blood clots. And so he basically blew the whistle and that led to, I think it was a six year investigation that involved the FBI and the Department of uh, Justice in the United States. And that's what led ultimately to, to that massive fine. So what are some of the other points that you've you've found alongside this uh, 
one glaring point as to why not to trust Pfizer? Yeah, well, I should also probably say at, at the outset that the sorts of information that I'm sharing tonight is actually quite available in the public domain. I mean, I, I did a lot of reading as I uh, wrote this article, but everything that I found was was available on mainstream news sites. So it's not like I've sort of you know, had to dig particularly deep or, you know, look in areas that other people don't have access to. Um, so I just thought I'd mention that up front. And the, and, other, the uh, other point is that it's not a conspiracy theory. All of these things that you're going to list are documented claims against Pfizer that are there in the public realm, uh, yeah. proof points to see. That's right, exactly. It's It's been reported by mainstream news and, uh, you know, the fines have obviously um, gone through the criminal justice system or some have been settled out of court but certainly reported on publicly. So... Um, the fine that we just talked about actually turns out to be only a fraction of the fines that Pfizer's paid over uh, about a two-decade history. They've been around for a lot longer than that, but their misdemeanors um, particularly started to pick up in sort of the uh, late 1990s, early 2000s. And uh, basically, they've paid billions and billions of dollars in criminal fines and settlement fees and other sorts of penalties over the years. Um, there's actually a uh, website called Violation Tracker. It's by a group called Good Jobs First. They're a, a, a US watchdog, a fairly reputable organization. They've actually counted 75 individual violations um, over about a 20-year history. And they've, they've pegged the fines and settlement fees that Pfizer has paid at about $10 billion, a bit over $10 billion in that time. So we were talking about the $2.3 billion earlier. That's just a fraction of all the different fines that they've had to pay for up to you know, 75 different violations. That includes things like they've bribed doctors, they've covered up bad data, um, they've engaged in fraudulent marketing, they've um, you know, basically they've been guilty of environmental violations. There was a, a product they sold quite a number of years ago, um, a heart valve, which led to hundreds of deaths in the United States. So yeah, this is a company that's got a pretty uh, shady track record to say it uh, very nicely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, uh, mate, uh, I, I guess that uh, they're the fines. Uh, there are some other issues. I read your article that you wrote. I particularly I was shocked about the um, the situation that occurred in Africa. Uh, let's get to that one because that is such an egregious um, abuse of of trust. It's actually quite disgusting to hear what happened. I think it was in Nigeria. Tell us about that one. Yeah, that's right. So it did take place in Nigeria. And this was actually exposed back in the year 2000 by the Washington Post. Now, they're no conservative outlet. They're fairly left wing these days. I, I assume they are probably a little bit left wing back then as well. And they did a series called The Body Hunters. And it was about an 11 month investigation into issues like this that were happening all over the world, actually. And their first part in their series was on uh, Pfizer's abuses in Nigeria. So Pfizer had this drug called Troven. They were wanting to test test it, but um, in order to save money and cut corners, they actually took their testing to Nigeria. And what they did is they enrolled a whole lot of children uh, and their families in these trials. And they led, uh, deceptively led the participants in the trial to believe that they were taking an approved drug when in fact it was a, it was a trial, it was a drug trial. And in the end, they, they enrolled 200 Nigerian children in this trial. 11 children are known to have died. Now whether or not they're all directly caused by the drug or whether they died of um, illnesses they already had. I guess that there's maybe a little bit of gray area there, but certainly um, the international spotlight was put on them because what they'd done was highly illegal. They ended up paying a $75 million fine to a state government in Nigeria. 
And uh, it even gets more juicy than that because uh, about six, I think it was about six years later, another um, piece of information came to light thanks to WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks has, had intercepted some cables between them and the Nigerian Attorney General. And what it, what it appeared to show is that they had been, Pfizer had been trying to blackmail the Nigerian Attorney General uh, in order that he would waive a $6 billion fine that the Nigerian federal government had against Pfizer. Um, so again, this was reported on by The Guardian. Um, this is, you know, this is information that's out there in the public realm, but that's the sort of conduct that we've seen from Pfizer over the last couple of decades. There's certainly good work from Julian Assange and crew there digging that dirt up, but um, uh, you, you now sort of wonder why he is behind bars when that sort of information hit the hit the streets. So, um, you know, uh, that, that that is a very, very big telling point. I mean, Pfizer rolls out a an experimental drug to a whole heap of children, uh, tricks the people into believing that this is safe and proven and registered, uh, and kids die. Uh, from what I read, they didn't just die. There was some really, really serious medical complications that a lot of children suffered afterwards. Um, Mate, I'm not going to say it because I get into trouble, but do you see any parallels here? <laughs> I can see where you're going with that question, George. And certainly, I mean, the spotlight has been on Pfizer all along the, the way with the COVID-19 vaccine. So it's been a lot more public than what happened in Nigeria. Obviously, that was behind closed doors until finally it came out. Uh, but having said that, there's a lot that is not actually uh, exposed yet, uh, or at least it's not available to the public in regards to the vaccine trial. Now, we'll get to that a little bit um in a few minutes yeah. uh, but there's certainly a lot that we don't know and some of that will we know will be um, you know revealed through courts and through you know the FDA releasing the data and that sort of thing yeah. um, but certainly yes uh, we look at the the history of Pfizer and there are at least some parallels with uh, what we've seen so let's get into some of the current issues with Pfizer and particularly with their mRNA vaccines that are on the market. Now, the British Medical Journal, which is the uh, journal, uh, a very esteemed journal, in fact, of the British Medical Association, had uh, quite a damning story in it uh, about some cover-ups that happened uh, within Pfizer. Uh, whistleblowers come forward. Tell us a bit about that, Kurt. Yeah, so BMJ have actually been quite amazing over the course of the pandemic. They're, like you said, a very esteemed uh, medical journal and one of the oldest in the world, in fact. Uh, but they've had a lot of integrity reporting on some of these issues. And so essentially they had a whistleblower come to them from a research group called Ventavia. Ventavia was contracted by Pfizer uh, to study uh, basically 1,000 1, participants in their vaccine trial. So the trial in total uh, uh, actually looked at 44,000 patients and Ventavia was examining 1,000 of those. So they had 1,000 participants enrolled in the trial. And essentially, Brooke Jackson was her name. She was a whistleblower working very high up at that organization. And she saw a whole lot of irregularities taking place. Uh, she was seeing falsified data, uh, vaccines kept at the wrong temperatures, patients being unblinded, which if people know anything about medical research, yep. that's you know extremely damaging to the, the data. Uh, there was also slow follow-up on adverse events. Uh, and so she she saw all these things and she thought, this is not right. So she took it, first of all, to her own organisation and she was ignored. 
Uh, she tried again, ignored again. So she actually went to the FDA. That's essentially um, America's TGA. And she took her complaint there. Later, the same day, she was actually fired by Ventavia. Uh, so clearly, there was, there was something going on there that they didn't want her to see. Or, um, yeah, they, they were essentially trying to cover their own tracks. They realized that right. they'd been very negligent in the handling of the data. And so the, uh, the BMJ published uh, all of this um, in, a, in a series of stories. I think this was late last year. Um, did a really good job of it. And then funnily enough, I, I include this in my article too because it's quite a twist. Facebook slapped a misleading and a hoax kind of label yeah. on it, the ones that we've become very used to. And they were relying, I think it was lead stories, was their so-called fact checker. Um, but actually, if you go and read that that so-called um, fact check that um, lead stories did, it's full of itself full of misinformation. It's calling the BMJ a news blog, which clearly it's not. It's one of the oldest medical journals in the world. It called their reporting a hoax. Um, there was a whole series of things. And essentially, they didn't even uncover any, you know, any facts that the BMJ got wrong. It was just a big smear to try to essentially, you know, basically um, carry water for Pfizer. So some really, you know, seriously shifty stuff going on there as well. I wonder whether there was any links between that fact checker and uh, Pfizer, because that's certainly been found with a number of media organisations, people uh, on the board of outfits like Reuters that are also on the board of Pfizer. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it makes you wonder uh, when the fact checkers are actually uh, fake checkers. Um, so, well, look, uh, do we know what's come of that? Because I saw a bit of a splash in the media when that all popped up, uh, but I haven't heard a peep more about any outcome or any investigation or any serious sort of inquiry. It's like it's just gone down the memory hole. Have you heard anything, Kurt? I mean, I think that summary is about is about accurate. I, I did a bit of digging as well to see if any more was followed up on. It sounds as though the FDA did get back in touch with her. Um, they essentially made a few sort of vague promises of, oh, yeah, sure, we'll look into it. Um, but she had never heard from them. Um, the British Medical Journal never heard from them again. And uh, about two months later, the Pfizer vaccine was approved by the FDA. Nothing to see here. Move That's on. right. Um, so, uh, well, moving on to another... Uh, egregious breach of trust by Pfizer with the mRNA vaccine that's out for COVID-19, and I should put vaccine in inverted commas, um, they have been exposed further with something by Project Veritas, uh, that's a journalistic enterprise over in the United States that does uh, a lot of investigative journalist work that, um, that the mainstream media should be doing but aren't doing. Uh, what did Project Veritas dig up about Pfizer? Yes, so uh, Project Veritas also had a whistleblower approach them. She uh, had been working for um, she had been working for Pfizer, and she happened to come across a series of emails in the uh, essentially the internal server, and she became quite intrigued when they were discussing uh, human stem cell or fetal uh, stem cell tissues used in the, I guess, the development of the vaccine. Now, this was a really big issue at the outset uh, for a lot of people, um, particularly religious people. The use of fetal stem cells, which came from aborted fetuses a number of decades ago, is quite a, a serious ethical issue and, and often is a reason for people of faith not to take a vaccine. And so these mRNA vaccines were essentially touted as an ethical alternative because they didn't actually use fetal stem cells in their development process. Now, uh, what the, the emails that this whistleblower uncovered discussed that fact, and it was it was from people who were very high up in the organisation, um, 
you know, essentially in global roles at Pfizer. And what they had said is, okay, here's a sentence that we've, or two sentences that we've put together to, you know, share with the media, politicians, um, anyone from the public who asks about stem cells. So the first part of it said, we did not use any human stem cells, any fetal stem cells in the development of our vaccine, but we actually did use some, or we can't guarantee that they weren't used in the testing of our product. And what these emails were saying is that's our approved statement, but we want you only telling, talking about that first sentence and not about the second. So essentially they wanted, you know, they wanted to be seen as not having used stem cells in the development, but they, they didn't want to mention the fact that it was used in the testing phase. And the fact that they were trying to hide this, uh, and th these are people very high up at Pfizer, certainly rang some alarm bells. Um, Project Veritas's video on this is awesome. They interview the whistleblower, they show the email threads and they, they show who the, the people are and what their roles are. So I encourage people um, listening to the podcast, George, to check that out. It's, um, yeah, a fascinating part of the story. Yeah. Okay, so we've gone through quite a roll call of different sins there. Uh, obviously, the, uh, the major criminal fine, uh, the subsequent myriad fines or the other myriad fines that they've uh, had to come up with. Um, we've got their sins in Nigeria. Uh, the sins that have been exposed by BMJ and also by Project Veritas. So there's three reasons left. Can you run us through the final three reasons, Kurt? Yeah, sure. I'll try to be quick. So uh, one of the serious ones is that now this actually didn't involve Pfizer so much as it involved the FDA. The FDA had approved um, the vaccine. Uh, they Basically, they took 108 days to look at something like almost half a million pages of data. Now, that's pretty impressive. Um, let's assume they, they did. They've got the staff for it. Took them 108 days and they gave the vaccine a tick. But then so, so, when... So in reality, um, they've taken Pfizer at their word for a lot of the stuff that's been submitted. They've taken the, the company that paid the largest criminal corporate fine in US history at its word. That's, that's it, what you can deduce from that. It would seem so, unless they've got really, very fast readers. And, um, and I strongly yeah. suspect that the TGA in Australia has done pretty much exactly the same thing. Mm, yeah, I, I would wonder the same myself. And so essentially the, the FDA, like I said, took 108 days to look at that data. But then a group of scientists using a, a Freedom of Information Act request uh, went to a court and said, we actually want to see this data. Now, FDA said to that judge, well, actually, we want, uh, we want 75 years to release this, please. We only want to release 500 pages per month. That would have taken it right up to the year 2096, long after most people who've taken the Pfizer vaccine are, are dead and gone. And, um, and so essentially, that was in the news. That was in the news cycle for about two months. Did they say what the reason was that they were going to take so long, just that it would yeah, take a yeah, long time to read it enough, or what? They didn't have enough staff to release it all. So, so how did it take them only 108 days to get through it all if it's going well, to take them 75 years to release it? Uh, bizarre. Yeah, and it shows that what I've said before is correct. But go on. Yeah. And so at first they asked for 55 years. Uh, about a month later, they went back to court. They asked for 75 years. Um, and then eventually we just heard only a couple of weeks ago, a, a judge with some more common sense than that, a judge from Texas said, no, you've got eight months. So in eight months time, fortunately, it will all be revealed. Good. But you have to ask the question, why, why, is it, why is the FDA trying to hide that data? I mean, if we're supposed to trust the science, let's look at the science. Let's not hide it from the public. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It'll be very interesting what that reveals. Tell us the final two. Yep. So uh, another one that is really quite serious. I actually think this is the biggest one of all. Uh, there's two major um, watchdog groups in the US that came out. They're, they're extremely uh, 
extremely reputable organizations. One's called the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. The other one is called Public Citizen. And I encourage, again, your listeners to look these up. They can look at my article for the links. Uh, but these two different groups got their hands on some of the secret contracts that Pfizer uh, signed with governments from around the world. So in one case, it was, I think, nine contracts they got their hands on, Public Citizen did. And then the Bureau of, in, the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, I think, got their hands on about seven of these. And they, they write a report on what was in those contracts. And it's just shocking. I mean, Pfizer demanded from Argentina and Brazil that they would put up embassies and military bases and other sovereign assets as collateral in the deals that they signed with Pfizer. So what, the hell, what the hell does a pharmaceutical company want a military base for? Well, that's that, a really that, good question. That is really bizarre. Yeah, it, it's, it's really, really bizarre. bizarre. Um, I, the other one that's really been discussed in these contracts is the fact that taxpayers are liable if there's any adverse events. Now, I think that's actually fairly standard practice for a pandemic. Um, you know, when drugs are being uh, developed really quickly, I don't really like the idea of that. But from what I've read, still makes you wonder. Yeah, yeah, it's a fairly standard practice. Pfizer, I, I by the looks of it, have essentially secured that from most governments. Certainly in the the contracts that have been reviewed, they asked for more though from some governments. They said we want to be covered from our own negligence, our own fraud, and our own malicious acts. If if uh, you know we're found to be guilty of any of those, which is just unbelievable. So, I mean, there's that as well. There's uh, a lot of secretive stuff. So I think the contract they signed with Brazil said that, you know, basically Brazil, I think, and Argentina were not allowed to uh, speak of the contract, of the existence of the contract, um, that there's just there's nothing they could say uh, about its existence. Um, Brazil also was barred from buying um, vaccines from other countries, selling them to other countries, receiving donations of vaccines from other countries or giving donations to other countries. So Pfizer's really wanted to control the the flow um, of, of all of these doses all around the world. And um, the amount of, yeah, basically it was described as high level bullying, being held to ransom is how some government officials described these negotiations um, they, they engaged in with Pfizer. So in the UK, um, courts are not actually going to be you know, involved in any arbitration process, according to these contracts. Pfizer has made sure that if anything goes awry with their contract with the United Kingdom, there's going to be three private arbitrators who look at those, uh, you know, those questions and sort out any legal issues, and the outcomes of those are going to be secret. So these are the sorts of things that have been uncovered in contracts that we know about. What about Australia? Australia's was not one of those, but we know that Australia has signed a contract with Pfizer, and I'd love to know what's in it. But it'd probably be very similar to the stuff that you've just exposed. I can't imagine it would be too different. Uh, so the final nail in the coffin, Kurt. Well, this is one uh, that was actually mentioned in Dave Pello's article about you this week in The Spectator, George. He quoted from the World Health Organization. You'd probably be aware of this. I think maybe you shared it on social yeah. media this week too. Um, so the TGA recently approved the Pfizer vaccine for 5 to 11-year-olds in Australia. Um, but actually, the World Health Organization, which generally we look to for these sorts of decisions, not, not always well advised, but that's what we tend to do, on their website. Um, this is an article that was updated just a couple of weeks ago, so it's current information, and I'll read the quote to you. They, they wrote, under a question, who should not take the Pfizer vaccine? They said, this is the who. There are currently no efficacy or safety data for children below the age of 12 years. Until such data are available, individuals below 12 years of age should not routinely be vaccinated. So that's the WHO's advice about the Pfizer vaccine for under 12s, and yet we're rolling oh, it that's out. That's shocking, Kurt. I can't believe you've said that on my podcast. That must be complete and utter disinformation. Disavow, disavow. 
we know that, that, it, that, that is the truth. The World Health yes. Organization, nonetheless. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, can I just say one thing on the back of that? Listen to the experts. The World Health Organization says do not routinely vaccinate children with Pfizer. That's not George Christensen saying it or a conspiracy theorist saying it or even Kurt Malberg saying it. It is the World Health Organization. What does the word routinely mean? If you look it up, it means don't do it as a matter of course. That means only vaccinate the kids that actually need it, the ones with underlying conditions, not the bulk of the population. So uh, mm. thanks very much for making that point and uh, letting us know of all the things that Pfizer have done wrong. Now, I'm just going to ask one last question, Kurt. Uh, given all of this, why do you think there's almost been a near radio silence about this litany of sins from Pfizer? Look, that that is the million-dollar question. And like some of the other people on your podcast that you've had, George, I scratch my head over this. Um, there's certainly a lot of groupthink that's going on. Um, Robert Malone talked about, Dr. Robert Malone talked about mass formation psychosis. I think that probably goes a fair way to explaining it. I really think a lot of the conditions for this were set up probably in 2020. And at that time, I, I actually give the benefit of the doubt to a lot of people, both in the political class, the media class. We didn't know what this virus was. We didn't know what, where it would lead and what it would look like. And so the fear was in some ways understandable. But that fear was really just pumped up by the media. Um, very quickly, I noticed all of my, not all, but many of my friends and my, my contacts, people at church were becoming extremely afraid of a virus that if you, you know, really dug into it was, it was serious, but it was certainly nothing on the level of the Black Plague, which is how it was sort of essentially being dealt with. And so when you've got all those conditions in place, when people really feel like their life is under threat, their way of life is under threat from a virus, then all of a sudden the big pharma companies that offer products that are going to help us become the saviour. And I think probably boiling it right down, that's probably something of what has happened. And so because these companies, we've, we've looked to them uh, over the last yeah, two years, we've you know, has the Pfizer vaccine come out yet or has the AstraZeneca come out? They, they were looked to as saviours. And so saviours can't do anything wrong. And I think there just hasn't been enough critical thinking about it. And um, there's a lot of reason to think critically. Um, I, you know, I, I don't consider myself too much of a conspiracy theorist. Um, and I, I think that label has been thrown around a lot recently, um, essentially to try to discredit anyone who yeah, just ask, ask pretty pretty standard questions and, and actually comes up with some fairly mainstream answers or at least answers that can be found in mainstream publications. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's really kind of where we're at at the moment. And uh, I, while I don't, I don't necessarily think Pfizer is out to um, uh, necessarily hurt people, I know, you know, just the way companies operate, certainly they're out to make a lot of money. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if in the years to come we look back on this chapter of Australia's history or the world's history and say, we should have been a little bit more careful. We should have been a little bit more cautious. We should have probably listened to podcasts like George Christensen's, you know, people like Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough, who are, who are asking the right questions. Maybe they don't get every single answer right, but they're asking the right questions and they're doing so in a climate that says you're not allowed to ask any questions. Well, we certainly need a lot more critical thinking and uh, key questions asked and answered. I thank you very much, Kurt Malberg, for coming on and uh, answering some yourself. And uh, those who want to read Kurt's work, it's on uh, the Daily Declaration. If you type Canberra Declaration blog, you will find it in your search engine and you'll be able to read uh, that story of the eight reasons. Uh, there's certainly nowhere near saviour status in my books, uh, Pfizer. They're, uh, they're somewhat more on the sinner side. 
And so I'll leave the audience with the key question. Do you trust Pfizer? Conservative One Pandemic Unmasked is hosted by George Christensen, MP. You can find more episodes from this series at goodsource.news forward slash unmasked. This show is produced and published without censorship or paywall by the team at The Good Source, thanks to The Good Source supporters. If you'd like to be part of the solution by helping us produce more truthful content like this each month, head to goodsource.news and click on the support button. Make sure to follow George Christensen on Telegram, Getter, Gab, Parler, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. You can also help us beat the algorithms by giving us five stars and encouraging comments in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.